Amen. Thank you, worship team. Great line tethered to your heart. We're going to talk a little bit about that using some different vocabulary today when we look at Romans 8 and ask the question, what, what's tethered to your heart? Acts, uh, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8 is what we're doing here uh, this summer. And we have landed on a couple of verses that we're going to zero in on, 12 and 13. So if you turn in your Bibles to find that, if you don't have one, um, there's a blue Bible in front of you that you can uh, find Romans 8, page 944. And once you find that, I want you to turn back to Exodus chapter 17, Exodus 17, page 59, if you're using the blue Bible. And we are going to read uh, beginning in verse 8. So Romans 8, 12 and 13, Exodus 17. Let's stand together as we read God's word. I'm going to begin with Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men. And go out and fight with Amalek, and tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with a staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew heavy, so they took a stone and put it up under him. And he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Acts, I mean, sorry, Romans chapter 8, verse 12 and 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to, to the flesh, but... For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You may be seated, and let's take a moment to reflect on God's Word. Uh, Just a few uh, remarks before we begin the sermon. Uh, Number one, the topic today really is we're talking about putting sin to death. And what underlies... Most of what we're going to talk about is a character trait called self-control. Because if you don't have self-control, you're not going to have any success in uh, putting sin to death. And so I'm going to send you in the newsletter this week an article by Ed Welch, who's a pretty well-known counselor. And he wrote an article. It's, ra- it's rather long, but this is your assignment. All right, so I'm not, I'm not, this is, I'm not asking. I'm assigning, all right? And if, you, if you're used to blog posts with the top three things and that it takes you about five seconds to read, it's going to be a tough week for you. But the title of his article is Self-Control, The Battle Against One More. wonder if you've got a one more in your life. Just, just one more and then I'll conquer that. I'll stop that. So he has some really great things to say that I want you to read. Then I'm going to make a suggestion, and that is to buy a book um, that's called, that's titled, Your Future Self Will Thank You. 
And uh, I will send you the link to that. I bought it yesterday. I'd heard a podcast about it. And um, it's about self-control. I love the subtitle, A Guide for Sinners, Quitters, and Procrastinators. All right, so if uh, I won't ask you to stand like Chuck did, any sinners, uh, quitters, or procrastinators, but if you feel like this is an issue that just seems to be a, like a plague in some area, I would suggest this book. I'm about halfway through it and have really enjoyed it. It's very practical, and so I've enjoyed that part of it. And finally, I'm going to, uh, when I finish the sermon, I'm going to stay up here, and if somebody would like for me or another elder to pray. Maybe something that you're just wrestling with that's unrelated to the sermon, but possibly as we go through the sermon, there's some need you have that you just want somebody to pray with you, and so we'd love to do that for you. Well, this uh, sermon this morning, Romans 8, 12, and 13, really is picking up on last week's sermon. It's really like the final point of last week's sermon. Last week, we looked at this little phrase in verse 6 called life and peace. And I suggested everybody wants life and peace. You want a, want a life that has real life. And so when Jesus says, I have come that you might have life, you're thinking, okay, he's not talking about just being alive. He's talking about really feeling like you're living in this moment. And that no matter what the circumstances are, there's a way to have peace. And I think all, everyone is looking for something like that. And then Paul tells us in verse 4, how do you get that? And he says, you have to walk according to the Spirit. So our question was, what we tried to answer last week, what we're going to continue to try to answer this week is, how do we walk according to the Spirit? I'm interested in the end goal, life and peace. The way I'm going to get there is I'm going to walk according to the Spirit. But then I'm asking, well, how do I do that so I reach the goal? And one of the ways that we answer that question is by focusing in on what Paul has to say in verse 12 and 13, and that is you put to death the deeds or misdeeds of the body. You have to be killing sin, as John Owen the Puritan said, or it's going to be killing you. Those are the only two options. You're killing it or it's killing you. There's no neutral zone with sin. So when you look at Romans 8, you need to pay special attention to these connecting words. And you see one in verse 12. It says, so then... Or your translation may say, therefore. So whenever you you hear that, you want to say, okay, he's building on some foundation. What has he said? So then, you need to know what he's talked about. And if you look back at verse 11, it says, this is what he's building off of. If the Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, if you've trusted in Christ, as the catechism says, the, the, the Holy Spirit is now dwelling in you, if that's true, he, then you can know this. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. So one day when you die, there will be a time the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to make your body like Christ, an eternal body, a real flesh and blood body not going to be some kind of spirit floating around. You're not going to have wings. You're going to have a body, just like Jesus. You're going to be recognized just like Jesus was. And let's just stop and ponder that for a moment. All of us are heading towards a funeral. Everyone here, everyone knows it. 
And whether you have a parent die or a child dies or some friend of yours dies and you go to the funeral, at some moment probably you're like me. You think, well, one day it's going to be me. And here's what Paul wants you to to just adore. He wants you to say, Jesus is alive. And the spirit who rose Jesus from the dead is going to do the same for you. I don't know if you've ever been out on the ocean when the sun's coming up. Not just on the beach, but out on the ocean. And a lot of times there's just a few moments where just all the colors come out. And it, it only lasts maybe a minute or two minutes. But for that mi- minute or two minutes, it's like a holy moment. You can't say anything because you're, you're trying to absorb everything you can all at one moment. And that's what Paul's wanting you to do in verse 11. He wants you to see this beautiful sunrise that's going to happen in your soul. He just wants you to just sit and stare at it and love it. And when that works its way into your soul, so then, once you really realize that, therefore, you're going to, you're going to do something with this incredible gift, and that is that you're going to live in a different way. You're, you're, you're no longer debtors. You're no longer obligated. You don't have any duty to your old way of life. You've seen something beautiful. And so, therefore, you're going to not walk according to your flesh. You're going to walk according to the Spirit. And when you walk according to the Spirit, you're going to be putting things to death, these old habits, these old loves in your life. There's a popular story about Alexander the Great, the the great military general, and he's out in one of his wars during a campaign, and he can't sleep at night, so he decides he'd walk, just kind of walk around the camp where all the soldiers are, and he noticed that one of the soldiers was asleep, and this soldier was on guard duty, and the penalty for falling asleep while you're on guard duty could be death. So the soldier hears somebody walking, wakes up, and notices it's the general. Alexander the Great. And Alexander approaches him and the soldier says, he says to the soldier, do you know what the penalty is for falling asleep, soldier? And he says, well, yes, I do. Alexander the Great says, soldier, what's your name? It's Alexander, sir. What? What's your name? It's, it's Alexander. And he asked him a third time, what's your name? Sort of sheepishly says, you know, Alexander. And Alexander the Great looks at this young man straight in the eye and says, soldier, either change your name or change your conduct. This is what the Apostle Paul is doing today to you, to me. What's your name? I'm a Christian. I'm a... Christ's follower, he's changed my life. Okay, then change your conduct. You can't just take on the label. You can't just take on the name. You've got to take on the walk that goes with it. And Paul, is, he's exhorting us to say, hey, if, if you've got this new name and he's trusting that they do, then, then it's, time to walk in a, it's time to walk in a different way. 
And so I just want to make several observations here. There's a hundred more that could be made, but these were the ones that I thought that might be most helpful. First of all, I really just want to repeat one of the points that I made last week. And that is that in order to put to death sin, it's going to take an all-out effort on your part. I was listening to a podcast and this guy said, there's no pleasure cruise to holiness. I thought, man, I'd sign up for that pleasure cruise, you know. Put me on Carnival Cruise Line and the destination is holiness. And all all the way along, I get all the food and sleep that I want. But there's no pleasure cruise to holiness. It's going to take every effort to put sin to death. And the way Paul says it, putting sin to death, the, the verb tense of this phrase is he's saying it, it's now and ongoing. It's not a one time you just put sin to death. And I'm sure you all understand that, do you not? You've noticed that you put some sins to death and they come back the next day. They come back the next hour. So it's something you're doing right now and it's ongoing. Paul understands we're going to be in this lifelong war, this battle with sin against our old loves, our old passions. And so really to drive this point home, I want to watch this little video. And I think I showed it here. I know I showed it in Iron Leadership, but this is such a perfect example of what I expect of me and what I'm hoping for you in giving an all out effort. This BBC World, Planet Earth, you've seen some of these videos. In this one island, these, uh, these iguanas, they hatch from out of the sand. And then when they get in the sand, they got to run to safety, which is up these lava rocks. But in between the sand and the lava rocks are snakes. And you have to give an all-out effort, as you'll see. Now look, most of you don't care for lizards at all. And if it was lizards chasing the snake, you'd be cheering for the snake. But you you have this sympathy, right? And as soon as he gets caught, you're like, oh no, is he going to make it? But you, you could see the loop was not quite getting them. And in your heart, you were saying, don't give up, right? Weren't you saying that? Keep, I mean, just a little bit more effort. And that's what I'm trying to say to you today. You could feel like the coils are coming around you. Don't give up. It's going to take an all-out effort. 
And there will be times that will be more peaceful than others, but it's something that you're going to be working on now and you're going to be working on forever. And Paul wants us to understand that when he says putting sin to death, this is getting in a war. And one day when we finally get home, I'll send you the link to this video. But the very, very, one of the very last screens while he's scrambling up the rocks, I don't know if you noticed it, that last snake just misses and falls into this dark hole. That's going to happen one day. And the battle's going to be over because Jesus has conquered everything for us. When you know that, when you stare at it, when you see its beauty, then you're obligated to make an all-out effort. It's, it's a duty to do that. So just the first question, you're making an all-out effort. Second thing, to have success in putting sin to death, you have to understand how sin operates. You know, when you're trying to defeat an enemy, you have to understand how the enemy operates so you can kind of see how the enemy is working against you. You can see your own weaknesses and its strengths and you begin to understand it and you understand yourself. And so one of the things I want to point out on how it operates is it operates like a law. And we know this from chapter 7. You can just look back with me in verse 22 or verse 21. Paul's writing, so I find it to be a law. That when I want to do right, evil is close at hand. You know, you understand that? For I delight in the law of God. I'm delighting. I'm thinking about the law of God. I love God in my inner being. But I see something else in the members of my body. And it's waging war. You see that? Against the law of my mind. I know something, but there's some kind of a mechanism inside me, my emotions that are driving my members to do something else. And it's a law. And it's a law that's trying to take me captive. It's like a snake. It's trying to totally consume you. So let's think how a law operates. A law makes demands. If you're a teenager, you've probably heard your parents say, it's time to lay down what? The law. Going to start making demands. Going to start making threats. We've we've, we've run out of margin. Now it's time to, to lay down the law. Law makes demands. If you obey the law, there's a reward. If you don't obey the law, then it makes threats. You're going to be punished. You're going to go to jail. That's how sin operates. It operates in your, the members of your body. It says, you must obey this. And if you don't obey these feelings right now, you're going to be punished. You're going you're gonna to miss out. Everybody's enjoying this and you'll be punished by the only one who's not enjoying this. So it makes these threats. I love this old slogan. A few, only a few of you will even remember it for the soft drink Sprite little slogan line, remember what it says? Obey your thirst. Obey your thirst. And it had a longer tagline, which I didn't realize until this week. And this is what, a little jingle. Never forget yourself because first things first. Oh, man. Don't you love the media? 
just points to sin right away without even knowing it. Never forget yourself because first things first, grab a cold, cold can and obey your thirst. See, this is what they want you to sing while you're in the shower, (laughs) while you're driving down the road. What's first things? Me, I'm first things. And I have thirsts. And those thirsts must be obeyed. And if I don't obey those thirsts, Paul, it's denying who I am and I'm going to miss out. That's a lie. But we sing the jingles. We have that whole conversation from the culture saying this. Oh, you are wired this way. This is what everybody does. You have the thirst. You must obey that thirst. And Paul's saying, no, no. No, that's not how you're supposed to live. The person who came up with this little jingle understands how sin operates. I don't know if they know it. Your, fir- your thirsts are first. That'd be a good jingle for 21st century America. Your, your thirsts are first. Very opposite of what the Bible has to say. Paul diagnosing the same problem in another letter to his, his friends in Ephesus. He says, you, you remember how we were at, at people apart from Christ. We had lost all sensitivity. We, had, we just gave ourselves away to our thirsts. Whatever they were, we, we indulged every kind of impurity. And then he says this little, little comma, and it created a continual lust for more. Paul, man, he is just super super at diagnosing an issue. You have these thirsts, and you just give over to them, whatever they are, whatever, whatever kind of impurity. And the problem is, it creates a continual lust for more. It's really what Ed Welch talks about in his article. Just the lust for one more. One more bite. One more look, one more purchase, one more drink, one more hit, one, one last burst of anger. And Paul perfectly diagnoses how sin operates. We lose sensitivity, we obey our thirst, and what do our thirst do? It drives us to be more and more thirsty. And so you say, I'm just going to do this one more time. And it's like setting a hook in your soul that demands that you do it one more time. And the more you do it, and the longer you say one more, the harder it is to stop. Paul understands this. So he's saying we've got to make every effort. Part of making every effort is just understanding how we operate. Paul Phillips, when you say one more, just stop and say, do you hear yourself? Do you just understand how that Satan trying to attack my soul, trying to, trying to hook me in, trying to devour me like a snake on that lizard? Paul says we don't owe anything to those thirsts anymore. They've, they've only served to enslave us. So my question is just, are you sensitive to your thirsts? Do you just stop long enough to say, okay, that's a thirst. That's a hunger. My soul has this hunger. Maybe it's okay. Or maybe I'm overindulging in that hunger. Just are you sensitive to those? Do they feel demanding? 
Does it say to you, if you don't do it, you're going to miss out? Just understanding the, the whispers of the enemy help you move away. So we've got to make every effort. We've got to first focus on what God has done. That's the first thing you've got to do. Second thing you have to do is you have to realize you've got to make every effort. Number three, I, I've got to understand how the enemy works and how I work in these thirsts. Another final observation here is, is you don't go to war with your sin alone. When you're trying to defeat sin, when you're trying to put sin to death, you can't do it alone. First, notice the wording of verse 13. If by the Spirit you put to death. If, if by the Spirit you put to death. Now, when I just stopped to think about that, that was a little puzzling. So, is the Spirit putting it to death? Or am I putting it to death? Or is there some sort of combo platter here that he's doing part and I'm doing part? And if that's true, then how does that really work? That, those were the questions that I was trying to wrestle with here. And I think that it's, it is a combination. I think Paul is saying it's a combination. By the Spirit, you. And I think to, to explain that, I want to use a picture. And I want to use the picture from Exodus chapter 17. This might or might not be a familiar story to you. Moses has led these people who've been in slavery for 400 years out across the Red Sea into the wilderness. They've just arrived in the wilderness. These people have been slaves for 400 years. They have no other way to think about their lives or the world. They have no protection other than the Lord. They're completely exhausted by what's happened with them. And they get over here and there's, there's, there's thousands, hundreds of thousands of them. And as you might imagine, as they're moving around, the weak, the tired, the, the, the injured, they're in the back. And there's a group of marauders. I think of them of like vultures. People, they're the Amalekites. And this is how they wage war. This is how they prosper is they see a group of people and they pick off the, the ones who are weak. So they stand around and wait for all the strong leaders to march by. And then when it's the last few weak people or animals, we rush in, we steal them, we kill them, we take their stuff and we run away. That's how they operated. And word got back to Moses. So he gets Joshua, his field general, and says, hey, you need to get an elite force of men and to go fight the Amalekites. And so he does, and he says, Joshua, you're going to fight. You're going to be in hand-to-hand combat, but I'm going to take Aaron and her, and we're going to go fight on a spiritual level. And while you're fighting down in this valley, I'm going to be up on this mountain, and I'm going to be raising my hands. So you might say Joshua is fighting this horizontal battle, and Moses is fighting this vertical battle. And as Moses' hands are raised, as if to say, God, this is your battle, it's not mine, Joshua succeeds. Whenever his hands come down, Joshua begins to withdraw. And finally, we know that actually Joshua does prevail. And my question is, was the battle won by Moses or Joshua? What's the answer to that? Yes, yes. See, the Lord could have just said, 
okay, the Amalekites are, ta- are attacking Moses, go raise your hands. I'll take care of it. That's really what I would have preferred, honestly. But do you see, that's not how he's designed it. Now, you may be frustrated by that, but that's not God's design. In your sanctification, you need to understand there's a vertical component. You're going to have to pray. You're going to have to plead for God's mercy. You're going to plead for the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. But you're going to have to engage in hand-to-hand combat. And I want to say this in this context, prayer is not enough. Now, you might tweet that out. Pastor Paul Phillips, prayer is not enough. But do you understand what I'm saying? I might have to turn some things off. I might have to stop being around certain people. I'm going to have to do some things that are horizontal, hand-to-hand combat while I'm praying the whole time. Now, we know that the Spirit actually gives me the strength to do it, but I've actually got to go do it. One of the beautiful things about this system is that it eliminates boasting. You see how that happens? I can never have a ton of success and come back and say, well, look at me. Why? Because the Spirit did it. The more success I have, the more credit goes to the Holy Spirit. And if you begin to have a lot of success and then you begin to boast, then you didn't win a battle against sin. You just traded a battle against sin. Lust for pride. Greed for pride. Materialism for pride. So the the, devil just said, great. I don't care which battle he loses. We'll just change him out. But if you really understand what's happening here, how Paul is perfectly diagnosing what we have to do, then you you get the power of the Holy Spirit, but you're never going to be boasting about your effort. You're going to be boasting about the Lord. Another way that we need help is not just from the Spirit, but from the community, the people of God. We're not going to fight the battle alone. We're going to fight the battle with people The Hebrew writer says this, pay close attention to the word of God so that you don't drift. See to it that none of you has a disbelieving heart that turns away from the Lord. You see what he's saying? If you start drifting, you're going to start having a disbelieving heart. As you stop coming to church every week and come a couple of times a month, once a month, once a quarter, you're going to start drifting. And that drifting is going to cause you to have a disbelieving heart. I get suspicious now about God. He's not running the world the way I probably would run it. And you just begin to drift away. And Paul says, don't do that. And he says, encourage one another daily so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So fighting this disbelief, fighting off this hardness of heart, fighting off, especially in the bitter moments of life, It's going to take a community effort. And I can't tell you how many times when people get in a bitter spot in their own life, that's the moment they stop coming to church. And I want to say that's the moment you've got to be here. The very moment that you feel like that that distance, that bitterness is beginning to cause you to step away. You got to take two steps forward to say, I'm not going to win this 
without the people of God surrounding me. So a question here, do you feel any hardening of your own heart? Any bitter circumstance causing you to be suspicious about God? This is a time to engage. It's time to get involved in a community group. I was listening to, a, a, again, another podcast, and this guy was saying, you know, I made a commitment that I was going to try to make every Sunday service this year that I could. And maybe some of you all need to make that. It's just, just not a big priority. It's just, you know, when I'm in town, whatever, I don't try to get back on Sunday. But I can tell you, it doesn't take too many Sundays before you start drifting. Proverbs 28, 13, whoever covers his sins will not prosper. Whoever covers his sins will not prosper. So turn to your neighbor and just say, don't cover your sins. Don't cover your sins. Don't cover your sins. Great quote. Killing sin is a collaborative effort. Private prayer and meditation are essential, but if they were our only weapons, we would be outgunned. Private prayer and meditation are essential, but if that's the only weapon you have, you're going to get outgunned. A person alone with their sin could privately repent and confess over and over, year after year, and sin would never weaken its grip. I wonder if you've been in that situation. I have privately confessed this every day for a year, and I don't seem to make any progress. Why? But if we dare to drag our sins into the light before a trusted brother or sister in Christ, it would shrivel and die. But see, the lie, the way the enemy works is just say, I need to ask for forgiveness. And that's enough, Paul. Don't tell anybody. That's the way the enemy works for you to never move away from your sin. Some time ago, I was talking to a guy in a coffee shop who I didn't know very well. It's not anybody in this room. And uh, we're just kind of getting to know each other. He's telling me a story. And I could just immediately tell story was a lot deeper than I first thought, which is the case for a lot of people. And as we kind of sat in this coffee shop, he began to say he had this several sort of addictive patterns in his life. And he was a churchgoer. He seemed like a very nice guy. It's not something you would have immediately seen. And he was great at hiding. But he said, I felt trapped. I knew I shouldn't be doing what I was doing, but I couldn't seem to get out of the trap. And then my wife discovered it. And I just winced. I went, oh, gosh, the pain of of her discovering, of you being pulled out into the light. And this is what he said, and I tried to quote it as closely as I could remember. Paul, it was so hard, yet so freeing. While my behavior was hidden, I felt trapped. But once I got out into the open, for the first time in a long time, I felt like there was hope. My sin exposed to others actually caused it to die. But see, this is so hard. 
I, I bet there are several of you just saying right now, yeah, but I could never say that to anybody. That's how sin works. It makes you believe a lie. That instead of getting healthy, you continue to go down this same path. One last quote before I close here again from the Ed Welch article. If our affections are not made public, oh, this is so perfect. We can deceive ourselves into thinking we've just made some mistakes. Ever done that? Yeah, those are some mistakes. Rather than admitting we have a passionate relationship with our sin. See, if you have a mistake, uh, you can cover it up, forget about it. But if you're in a passionate relationship, it's hard to give up a passionate relationship. Hard to put that to death. And it's not going to be easy, but you're going to need others. When you feel discouraged and defeated, and I have, I'm 56. It's not like I've reached the, the rainbow. And I think, I'm 56. I thought I would be done with this right now. And you just feel like I can't seem to get any traction. It doesn't seem to ever go away, whatever that, those feelings are. I love this song that we sang this morning, Thy Mercy. I would want you in that, those moments to go back and stare at Jesus because he's your only hope. I wouldn't want you to leave this conversation thinking it's all on you. All praise to the Spirit whose whisper divine seals mercy and pardon and righteousness mine. He has sealed it. Now that you know that, walk according to that spirit. Let's pray together. Lord, there's a lot of information in these two verses. And it's it's so hard to examine our own hearts. We'd much rather say, this is a great sermon for this person I'm sitting next to. This is a great sermon for the person that I'm going to send it to this week. But would you help us see our own souls? Would you help us to see the way the enemy specifically has wins in our life? Would you give us the courage to to join together with your spirit and with your people to, to give every effort and to give all glory to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.